Hi there, I'm Dan Jones, and this is my podcast, Climate Scientists. I'm an oceanographer working at the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge, UK, and on this podcast I have long, informal conversations with folks whose work intersects with climate in some way. This week I'm really happy to announce that I'm releasing this episode with Professor Laura Zana. We uh, recorded this interview in her office in the Department of Physics at the University of Oxford back in December, back just before Christmas. So it was really, this has been a long time coming, and uh, there's been you know, various reasons for why we had to delay the release date. So if you've been waiting on this one, thanks for your patience. And uh, if you knew it was coming, thanks for waiting on, on that. Yeah, so like I said, we uh, we met in her office, had a good conversation. Uh, I thought it was a really good conversation. We talked about uh, machine learning and how that set of techniques is being applied to climate science these days and oceanography and everything that falls within that climate science umbrella. And uh, we talk about the uh, Bolton and Zana paper that came out recently that you should definitely check out if you're interested in seeing how machine learning approaches can be applied to oceanography and climate science. It's a very nice one. Very nice paper. Um, we also talked about Laura's work with TikTok, the TikTok project, which is about the uh, storage of heat in the ocean, where it goes, and the timescales on which it gets into the interior ocean. So that that's really good. And we also spent a nice long time talking about Laura's pathway into science, which is really unique and interesting uh, from many, many perspectives. So I think uh, that's definitely worth a listen. And I really think this is a, a very strong episode if I if I'm allowed to say so myself. Uh, a couple of, oh yeah, I should tell you about this. So there was a, a very mild disaster. Uh, uh, maybe that's too strong uh, of a word, but uh, a couple of times throughout the episode, you will hear this buzzing sound, this electric, uh, almost dot dash, almost Morse code style uh, electronic interference. And uh, I'd did my best to try to get rid of it wherever I could. Uh, sadly, there were a couple of portions where that buzzing sound was so loud and so obnoxious and just so um, intractable that I couldn't get rid of it that I had to cut a couple of the segments. Uh, now, luckily, these were not very long. This is like a minute here, a minute there. So I didn't have to cut large sections of our conversation. But there are places where there will be sudden jumps. So I'm really sorry about that. That's uh, that's a bit embarrassing for me. But uh, I didn't know about that problem until I went to produce this episode just now, actually. Um, that's, that's when I first you know, started hearing this buzzing and beeping. Uh, so I will actually jump in. Like, you'll hear me suddenly narrate uh, in, in this channel. You know, you'll suddenly hear me narrate... Uh, and telling you when those breaks happen throughout the episode, which is uh, unusual. We're, we're not usually a podcast where the narrator jumps in there. But I just wanted to explain why those gaps are there and why the conversation suddenly leaps forward a little bit. Because really, I like to record and preserve these conversations in the kind of pure form. I like, I like to do very, very little editing, and that's intentional. That's I like the whole conversation, including any uh, awkward pauses, including any, uh, you know, the time that it takes. I think it's all good. I think all that is, is nice stuff. Um, so, yeah, back to Lore. So Laura is a real delight to talk to. She's a real pleasure to talk to. Um, and honestly, uh, when when I was first getting into the field, she was one of those people. Yeah, when I when I met her, she uh, helped me feel very included in the field. She helped me feel like that it was a community that I could be a part of. So I I think she, uh, both in terms of being 
an outstanding, obviously outstanding researcher and outstanding scientist. Uh, I think she's one of those figures that helps uh, give our community a kind of sense of cohesion uh, just by being herself. She doesn't have to do anything special for that, but she helps the field feel more inviting. She helps it feel more like a cohesive community. So I really uh, appreciate her her presence for that for for many reasons. You know, for the for her being an absolute, uh, absolutely stellar scholar and researcher, but also um, a, a really, a really great person who just helps to tie the whole uh, whole community together. So, I really appreciated the opportunity to chat with her, to hear about her science, to hear about her life, and I hope that you really enjoy this conversation. Uh, a couple of quick notes. If you want to follow and get updates on the podcast, we have a Twitter account at Climate SciPod, so please do follow that for updates. Uh, and thanks for downloading this, streaming it, subscribing, uh, whatever you have done to access this. Thanks for that. Uh, and please, if you have a chance, give us a rating, give us a review that gives some feedback uh, that I can use to show that the podcast is, is working and is functioning as one would like it to. Uh, and it also potentially, depending on what your feedback is, gives me suggestions for things to change, uh, suggestions for new guests. And, um, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's very useful. I do read the reviews when you put them up. Uh, they can be found in various places since this podcast is distributed, you know, many different platforms. Uh, I, I go to those individually and look for the reviews. Okay. So let's go ahead. Let's get into it, into this conversation with Professor Lorzana. Here we go. Um, so this week it's a bit of a weird week. Yes, I just uh, flew back from AGU on Monday morning. Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I mean, you've been to AGU before. Yeah. A few yeah. Times. You know, yeah. Uh, twenty plus thousand people yeah. um, put intense meeting and, and I was in New York before that for a few more it's as big as my meetings. undergraduate it's university pretty, yeah, it's, it's like my entire humongous, yeah. yeah it's like my entire undergraduate university showing up in San Francisco or DC so yeah so this year actually DC was yeah. less overwhelming than oh, San yeah? Francisco yeah I think you can handle hmm. uh, the presence of yeah of 25,000 geoscientists in one place just because it's a bit more spread out yeah and, there's, and I there's think also more yeah, yeah there's more space hmm. you can handle the you know the the city is, doesn't contain as many uh, inhabitants as, uh, as San Francisco, yeah. where we are in a core of, you know, Union Square. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's yes. just a matter. Yeah, it's pretty dense. Yes. Yeah. So, so actually I felt less overwhelmed, but as exhausted as, you know, as always yeah. at AGU. But, you know, it's always a good meeting to go to. Everybody goes to it. So it's more the chatting with people than sitting in a room uh, listening to talks yeah. that are fun, more well, exciting. And that's where that's where a lot of the actual work happens, you know. That's where really, a lot of the yes. Work uh, to be perfectly honest, yeah. yes. I mean, you know, some of the talks, you know, many of them usually you sit in the sessions where you've seen many of them before. Uh, but it's good, good refresher to see where people are. But you can also come up with, you know, what's the trend right yeah. now, what people work on, and, yeah. and you can pick up a few trends. And I think one trend is uh, it's machine learning. So yeah. there were lots of machine learning sessions this year. This podcast is basically my excuse to get you to teach me. Uh, oh, okay, okay, that's <laughs> interesting. You should have told me I would have brought uh, one of my PhD student, Tom. No, no, it's okay. There's some stuff on the board actually about this. Broad, but, broad perspective uh, <laughs> is, is totally fine. Good. You know, 
because I'm, I'm trying to get into that a little bit. And I okay, have one, well, you, you have you know, a paper, which I've read. Uh, yeah, oh, very yeah. nice. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it's a preprint. I saw you pre-print. released, you, you and your student released yours yeah, as a preprint Yeah, we released, well. yeah, so Tom, Tom released his online. Yeah, so we talked about this. The reviewer told us, which was actually a great idea, saying, you know, are you going to make the, co- the code public? Yes. And and we thought it was great during the review process. And so Tom decided to clean up his code and put it online on GitHub. Mm-hmm. And it was like, look, I mean, you know, we put the code, then we might as well release the paper, uh, the paper yeah. right? And and see what happens. Absolutely. Um, so so yeah, we put it also um, online. And actually, yesterday we were just the paper was just accepted with oh. a few typos. So nice. So just a few little things to fix. Congrats! Yeah. Hey, congratulations! Yeah, thanks. Well. It's his first paper, so it's pretty good for him. Oh, that's it's the first it's one. His, it's his first one, yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's exciting. He had okay. a great paper. He did a lot of work. Yeah, he deserves it. That's pretty. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I haven't read the whole thing, but I glanced at it. I, there was a lot in there, like a lot. There was a lot that. in there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was looked like it was an intense uh, piece of work. Um, it was very you know. exciting. I mean, you know, I'm 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 like a little kid. I I, I like new things. Yeah. Um, and and this paper was really quite new. I mean. I've been doing some work on machine learning for the past few years, just doing forecasting. Mm. So training, uh, you know, training algorithm on some observed data or model data to just make a forecast. And so, you know, I started with playing with sea level, for example, you know, how far can you predict sea level with some data from wind, uh, so ocean currents. Falling under the broad predictability umbrella? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. you know, I have like three themes. Yeah. Predictability is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how do you do that? How do you... Can you tell me about the sea level prediction stuff? So, I mean, so, you know, those machine learning algorithms, all they need is data and lots of it. Yeah. Uh, But they also need the right kind of data. So, you know, but we don't know exactly what. And then they start learning relationship between the data that you give them rather than us making an assumption of what that relationship will be. Input-output pairs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you make you make some assumptions, right? You give it some priors, and you say it should look yeah. something kind of like this. We we think, right? Well, I mean, by the data you give it, that's mm-hmm. really what we're doing. Is yeah. we we we're telling to some extent the algorithm. Okay, I need you to take all those relationships into account and and come up with a new relationship that matched them just quite from, well. Just from the data, yeah. You just it. from the data, we don't give yeah. it. Um, you know, an equation, if you want. We don't yeah. give it partial derivatives. It learns the partial derivative yeah. by itself. That's right. That's the idea. It, there, there is an idea, though, that we would like to be able... And I think you and your student talked... What was your student's name? Tom. Tom. But what's Tom the last Bolton. Name? Tom Bolton. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that, uh, you know, Bolton and Sana, you talked about... Uh, <laughs> you talked about the idea of... Um, it wasn't conservation of energy, but it was like a physical relationship. Conservation like of momentum. You, know, you want, yeah, momentum. Mm-hmm. You want those kind of physical relationships somehow embedded in there or, or respected in some way. Indeed. Yeah. So, so, so I think you know, for us, I mean, you know, we've we've been trained as dynamicists, right? So we believe in the equations of motion we have. Yeah. Uh, we believe that some some conservation principles are important. Yeah. And and if you think about you know using those those machine learning algorithms. So they're fantastic, right? I mean, they they basically fast statistics mm. with you know with some computer science in it. Yeah. But but again, because we don't give them an equation, um, then you know they learn the equations themselves. Now the question is, can they learn to respect those conservation? Right. But once because you start, once you start um, f- forecasting or projecting yes. into the future, yeah, yeah. they may or may not them, exactly. Right. And also, we give them a set of data that that isn't perfect. Right. That's I mean, true. so yeah. here we train, for example, in that paper, in the Bolton and Zana paper, then we train on a small region of a numerical model. 
So while the model in its entirety does have all the conservation uh, mm. principles that we want when you train on a small portion of the data, which will be the same if we take real measurements in the ocean, yeah. well, I have a limited sample, so it's not obvious that I'm conserving everything. That's right. So for us, the, the idea was, okay, if, if we are trying to train those uh, neural networks, which in, that's what we're doing in this paper, to, um, you know, to be able to represent processes that we don't resolve, to then, you know, hopefully yeah. soon, put them, yeah, exactly, put them back into a coarse resolution model to represent, you know, turbulent processes we yeah. can't resolve, we need to respect some basic uh, principles here. So we started to come up with ways to do that. That's okay, we have those fancy statistics now. Uh, okay, they, they are brilliant. Mm. They learn things that we didn't tell them to learn, which were, you know, first derivatives, so basically shear of velocity. I mean, they learned that by themselves. Oh, really? Um, so yeah. the algorithm noticed, hey, I think. They noticed that they need, they need, yeah, that you need shear to actually make it right. Mm. Um, so, so it's quite exciting, right? You don't need to tell it what to do uh, it, yeah. it learns on the fly with the data you give it and I guess I guess the simplest approach could be well uh, maybe let's not try to impose conservation of momentum on the algorithm but we can use it as a check you know as you're making projections into the future you can say well my basic check to see if this is yeah. reasonable or not is let's let's see if it's conserving energy and momentum indeed you right know? so yeah. I mean, the hope would be that they learn to respect those properties by themselves hmm. But that's a pretty big yeah. hope. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a bit of a cynic. I really <laughs> believe that uh, that things work out so well. So we needed to come up with a, with a good, you know, game plan. Um, okay, if we can't learn the right relationships, or at least, you know, not all the right relationship, mm. we're going to need to find ways to embed that uh, into the algorithms. Mm. And so that's what we tried to come up with. So a few options. Yeah. We like options. You have options. We have options, yeah. We have, a, we have three options, I think, on how to do that. So I think two are good. One is poor. Yeah. But, but you know. What do you do? What, what are the options, if you don't mind? No, 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 no problem at all. We're getting to the details. I get excited, as yeah, you oh, can cool. see, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, one option is you can pre-process the data if you want. So if I'm in a limited region of the domain, trying to actually make the data conserve uh, what you want before you give it hmm. uh, to the machine learning algorithm. Okay, yeah, so you run it through some kind of pre-processing where exactly. you say, I want you, you to conserve momentum, yeah. or I want you to... Mm -hmm. hmm, okay. Um, so basically, we, we, we take the delta, and we, we, we take the data, and we filter out any biases or any trends, if you want, that will lead to something that does not conserve properties that we want. Yeah. Then the other option is you build it within the architecture of the neural net. So, so neural networks are basically different layers that learn processes, uh, and so you can either you know put a layer in there that would say, okay, you know after you you've done all of that, now. You know, play with the data in a way that the sum, uh, you know, the integrated momentum will go to zero at the end. So you give it some rules for... You give it a rule. Okay, if you need to adjust the momentum, here's how you do it. Yeah. Um, and Which, I guess there could be more than one solution for that sort of thing. Many you know, solutions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so none, of, no... none of those <laughs> options are unique yeah. uh, in a way. Yeah, and the last one is just post-processing after the fact. You just couldn't. <laughs> why that's, we why, that's, why, oh, well. that's why we do it, right? <laughs> yes, we we're very uh, honest. We, we you know we present options yeah. and uh, and you know. Well, that makes sense. You can either take care of it before, during, or during after, after the right? <laughs> Those oh, are the it's logical. Right. It's like trends, right? <laughs> you either remain the same, you go down, or you go up. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's pretty right. much the same. 
Hi there, you hear that buzzing sound? Well, unfortunately, during this part of the interview, that buzzing sound got much, much, much worse and much louder. That seems to be some electrical interference, some electronic interference that my microphones must have picked up on. Uh, I tried my best to get rid of it in post-processing, but it was... Uh, it, it was really difficult. I couldn't get rid of it, and it was very loud and very annoying. Uh, so I had to cut this this part of the interview. I'm really sorry about that. We uh, continued that same discussion, talking about the, her paper a little bit, and luckily the noise stopped pretty much when we were ready to switch topics to a different uh, line of work. So uh, ultimately we didn't lose a ton of stuff, but I just wanted to explain why there was a sudden break here. Okay, here we go. Have a lot of time on this part of you know of, of science I guess you know we came up with a parameterization uh, a few years ago uh, to represent again eddies with some uh, yeah so you're kind of non-newtonian dynamics so so mm. we assume that turbulence uh, the turbulence stress tensor uh, can be represented by a non-newtonian stress can you say a little more about that? Sure. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of the mathematical properties of, of turbulence that, that are well respected uh, by a non-Newtonian stress, which, so water is Newtonian, right? So the, the, the viscous stress is, is what we use, the Laplacian velocity. Yeah. Um, and then if you were to keep the next order term in your, uh, you know, in your equations of motion, then you will end up with higher order stresses. And those higher order stresses uh, are a pretty good representation, apparently, yeah, we discovered, mm-hmm. uh, of some of the turbulent stresses. Um, so so that's something we've been playing with uh, for the last few years. So the machine learning was a, a new way, again, to represent separate scale processes yeah. uh, that is quite different, but without any uh, assumption to start with, which, again, makes it good and bad. That's exciting, yeah. Yeah, so, that, I, so that's been a big, a big topic, I guess, for us. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I'm, I am excited about the machine learning stuff, and I'm trying to get in there. Uh, it's also overwhelming just because the volume of it is, it's huge, and the, the, the rate at which people doing are, are doing stuff is really, it's so really I think the intense. The fact that is uh, so efficient means that, uh, that yes, as you said, the volume mm. uh, is, is pretty uh, huge. Yeah, it's uh, you can do things very quickly uh the question is do you learn anything from it and so that's always the part we pose and we're trying to ask the right questions in a certain way because uh, you know i mean i can always classify things i will, can always categorize i can always come up with a new parameterization or you know a formulation for a parameterization but did i learn anything new yeah. and so so that's why we kind of need to find the right balance for that still needs to fit into a science narrative, yeah, a for science me, story. Yes. I mean, as much as I like the math and, and computational tools, uh, it still needs to fit within a big question Yeah. somehow. Yeah, well, you're, yeah, you are an oceanographer, so you have to... I don't know if I am really an oceanographer, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm an opportunist in oceanography, yeah. I think. An opportunist in oceanography, that's yeah, good. Yeah, I think, uh, that, I think that's the way I see myself. That you've, um, yeah, you, you like to use... Mathematics and statistics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so I mean, models. exactly. Yeah, so the turbulence part and the machine learning, you know, is one aspect. The other thing, we've been doing a lot of work on ocean heat content and changes in ocean circulation. And so, so again, we always try to come up with some new models or new new way to represent those processes and understand them. Yeah. So, yes, as much as I, end, I, I love the math and the computational aspect of it, I always try to think about the bigger uh, questions that I think are interested in. Yeah. 
think are interesting, where, where there are still um, you know, pieces of the puzzle mm-hmm. that we don't quite understand. For sure. You said there were a lot of um, talks at AGU about machine learning. Anything mm-hmm. exciting? Anything pop out at you as like, oh, that's, that looks cool, that looks interesting? Um, so it's always hard, right, because you come out of AGU with a big blur. We just yeah. remember there were a lot of staff that's about right. something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I could not tell you details anymore because yeah, I can yeah. never tell no, with the 12-minute yeah. talks. But, but So I think a large chunk of it was classification. So that was a big part of, of oh. how people use machine learning, yes. Mm. Oh, I should have um, gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm sure next year will be as many talk, if not double, yeah. uh, the amount. Um, a few of them were starting to, or at least trying to learn physical relationships uh, rather than just classifying um, phenomena. So that you know that 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 could look promising actually, mm-hmm. just trying to learn the physics or the dynamics from the data. Mm-hmm. So that was that was definitely interesting, and I learned a few a few additional things on new methods and you know what works, yeah. what doesn't. We've got. Um a couple of PhD students who are getting involved with Gaussian processes, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just starting to kind of learn what that is. You know, it's um I'm starting to, to work my way into there. It's like it's a very general kind of fitting method where you, know, you don't specify the kind of function that you want to use right from the beginning right from necessarily. The well, you can give it like a, a prior. You give it like okay. well, you want to use some set of things like this, and then it uses the data to try to select the best kind of family member. Mm-hmm. And it's consistent with that kind of prior thing you gave it, prior function you gave it. Um, yeah, so I, I really shouldn't try to talk about it too much because I'm just starting to, um, I felt, uh, <laughs> I'm just starting to learn about it. But it's exciting because I think what it. Hey, folks. Uh, sorry, more buzzing. Had to get rid of the section. Really embarrassing. Uh, here we go. You know, the machine learning techniques are good for us. They're, they're fast, efficient yeah. uh, um, algorithms. So they're fast optimizations. So if they can, you know. Uh, run through processes more quickly or find relationships more quickly. So then after that is how do we use them in the best possible way to help us do the science we need to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, rather than being just the end product. Yeah, there's some other folks at Oxford here doing some machine learning stuff too as well. In yeah, there oceanography, are. Yeah? Yeah, um, so in oceanography, I don't know. Actually, well, we're not that many oceanographers, yeah, as you probably yeah. know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but there are other groups uh, that are working with machine learning right now. So Tim Palmer's group... Uh, you know, the kind of predictability, atmospheric uh, dynamics. Mm-hmm. So they, they're playing a little bit. So, and uh, Hannah Christensen. Um, so they're working with, with the Lorentz model and, and again, trying to, uh, trying to learn subgrid scale mm-hmm. from neural nets. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know your approach to something. This is a very different kind of question. I okay. just want to kind of take a left turn. Sounds good. So one of the things that, you know, I'm getting better at it, but when I go to AGU or EGU, um, Especially when I first started out, I really struggled with a feeling of like, oh, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> I wish I'd done that. I, you know, and oh I, yeah. Or I wish I'd seen that or thought about that. And of course, it's always obvious, you know, after the the fact, some of these things. But um, you can't do you can't do everything. Yeah. No, I, I remember I, I kind of told that to Stephanie Downs one time. I kind of expressed that feeling, and, and that's what she said. She was like, "Well, you can't do everything." And I, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, you're you're so much more uh, emotionally healthy than I am right now." And I'm like. Yeah. So, what do you, what's your like approach to? Because it would so, probably be crazy, right? If you don't, of course, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, there are always the times. I mean, even if my with my own papers, I think I'm I'm like, oh, maybe I should have done it differently, and somebody else did it better than me. Yeah. Oh well, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think early on in my career was it was a lot harder on me um, when you know you're you're a grad student and and 
you know, you do something and then you go to a conferences and, and to a project you've been working on and somebody is, is starting to do something very similar to you and does it in a better way mm. and you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. I should have done that better really from the beginning. But nothing at the end of the day is all that, you know, dramatic. There are many approaches to the same problem. Yeah, there are sure. many ways um, to tackle the questions. Um, and at the end of the day, every part of, of you know the process, yours and, and others, contribute to understanding those processes and advance yeah. the science. And sure. I think we need to be okay with the part that we are, you know, we are part of a big community where people work on similar topic, and we should see that as as an advantage yeah, rather exactly. than just a competition. And we are a bit competitive, and it, it, it's it's okay as long as it remains healthy. I think yeah. for me, also being you know being head of a group. Uh, you know, teaches you a lot mm. in the sense that you know you give some ideas to your group and they take it in a completely different way, mm. and it's great because then at the end of the day, it's nothing to do with what you wanted to mm. do, but it's it's much better. Yeah, that's so amazing. I think it's, it's kind of learning to work with people in different ways. Um, that makes it quite exciting, and and now I see you know if somebody did it better than me, great. Then the, I learned something, and and you know hopefully I can think about a different way. It 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 takes a while. I'm not saying that it's always obvious, but um, but I always feel yeah. I mean I have you know I have a certain amount of time to do certain things, and and yeah, and it's okay. Exactly. Know? I, I still I still feel excited when I see new things that I'm like, oh, that is better than what I've done or I should have done it this way. Yeah, no, it's good if you can be excited instead of depressed. <laughs> if you can get in that I mean, space yeah, of like, you, you know. know I mean, yeah, it's... it goes through stages, obviously, yeah. right? So, so, I always tell, so I always tell my group, you know, especially when they start a PhD, for example, you know, there are a lot of, lot of ups and downs. The ups are really take you, you know, really high, but they're pretty short and, and, and quite intense. And, but yeah. then you have a lot of lower down and so you need to be able to average out and, and has to be a net positive yes. but you need to be okay with knowing that there will be long periods where you always feel a little bit down but the yeah that's very that's normal right that's, that happens I think to it's everybody. completely normal yeah. yeah which is why that's our normal but it's hard it's a, it's a difficult normal yeah. rather yeah. than just a simple average you know <laughs> with yeah. no uh, huge ups <laughs> and, uh, and but, long down I was thinking about in your example of, you know, when you see someone else who's maybe done something better, I mean, you don't know where that, that came from necessarily because our research is a function of our research environment, like the, the interactions that you happen to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously, like, as individuals, you know, we drive stuff forward in a certain way, but, I mean, I, I know, I don't mind admitting, a lot of what I do, I'm just listening to people. <laughs> I'm just integrating. I'm like... I'm just showing stuff to people mm-hmm. and, you know, getting some thoughts and then trying to integrate all those thoughts into something and try to try th- something out. So, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I feel like as a, as a researcher, I don't feel like this is all just, you know, springing somewhere from my head. I feel like I'm just integrating what, what is around me. Absolutely. You know? I, I mean, I see that really as a, again, what people are doing contribute to what I'm doing as well. I mean, the question, the questions, the methods, the way we present it, all of this is, is really influenced by your surroundings. Yeah. And so, you know, the group for me, you know, being in this department, going to meetings and the people I collaborate with outside, I think all of that is is, is an important environment we have. Like, you know, I take absolutely no, you know, credit for mm. everything I wrote or did at any point, <laughs> no sole credit. Mm. Absolutely not. I mean, mm. you know... Uh, 
it's usually a part of a collaboration one way or another, even though sometimes the names are not on the paper, but, but it's been by listening to something where you know an idea pops yeah. up or something like this. So yes, I take no, no sole credit for <laughs> anything I've ever done, absolutely. And I think that's what's great about our science. Yeah, I mean, you obviously work really hard, and you you produce a lot of a lot of stuff, and you're, it's really inspiring to me. Like, I'm I'm inspired by and intimidated by all the the volume of stuff uh, yeah, that you do. Yeah, yeah. No, Thank I'm, you. Yeah, you shouldn't. I'm, you shouldn't. Uh, I, I say that kind of jokingly. I'm sure you kind of know the spirit with which I feel that it, it's yeah, in that exactly. same thing we were talking about about finding that space of mm-hmm. like, well, I need to feel confident enough about what I'm doing to, you yeah. know. I didn't mean literally intimidated. No, 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 I, I just, understand. You know, good. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, in a kind of good. like, it, it's inspiring. No, but yeah, the volume of stuff, not just volume, but like the, the kind of work you, you're doing is inspiring to me. And I like that Thank you, you. Is it fair to say, like, obviously a lot of that does come from you and your effort, but I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that part of what you figured out how to do is to integrate well, to integrate, you know, yeah. to, to, to listen to your community, to listen Indeed. to what's going on. Yeah, I think you, you that's need. very important, yeah. yeah. I think for me that has been very important, kind of being immersed within, you know, the right, the right community. I was very lucky as well, you know, I mean, mm. I, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, you know, I was in grad school where there were a lot of things going on, uh, you know, a lot of different topics in our sciences. Um, so, so you get exposed to many different approaches. Yeah. Um, about many topics that are related to past, present, future climate. I had a very creative PhD supervisor, Elie Tipperman, who worked on, you know, mm. 20 different topics at a time. So that, that teaches you also to be able to listen to other people and learn something from a different uh, subject. Yeah. And then I came here as a postdoc, um, you know, technically working with David. We, we never learned, we never really worked together until a few years later. I still feel bad about this. Um, and then I became faculty here. And mm. so again, you know, the environment is great. You get a lot of people working on different things in climate. So so I think that's, that, that has surely influenced uh, my science. But, you know, my group has, has been amazing. I mean, for me, they are, you know, you talk about volume and different things that, you know, I could not do it without them. I mean, it's, it's a truly... You know, collaborative efforts. I mean, the group is is fantastic. They all work hard. They all have brilliant ideas, mm. uh, and you know, each one at the end of the day, the paper that they write is theirs. It's not, yeah. you know, I help, but it's theirs. That's um, right. So they are, you know. I was listening to a um, a different science podcast this morning, and the 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 person being interviewed, she was also head of her group, and she said, "Well, sometimes I just describe my position. I'm not, and I'm not putting this on you, but I'm saying it sounds like what you're saying is a." Uh, uh, she describes herself as like, well, I'm, I'm the hype person for my group. I know I go out and I just I promote and I like, look at the awesome stuff we're doing. And then I try to use that to win more funding so that we can keep this whole thing going. And like, you know, so I think know. there's a little bit of that. But for me, I mean, I, I still see it as, I mean, you know, the promotion and things like this. Like, I don't know if I truly promote. I get excited about it. Not, I, I don't think I'm a great salesperson, actually. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm that good at it. But if I give a good talk, it's just because I'm excited about it, not yeah. not because I try to sell it to get more funding. I think great if if that comes out. I mean, I'm, I'm of course, mm. you know, I'm, I'm very you know, very well aware of that, and, and of course we you know we make sure that everybody's well funded, and then yeah. I can keep people the way they are, you know, in, in the in the right place where they want to be. Yeah. But but I, I I try to push them, um, you know, to you know to do the things the way they should be doing it and the way you know, the way they want to do it, so then they do end up with a job uh, if they want it, uh, yeah. whether it's in academia or elsewhere. 
Um, so I, yeah, I, I try to be supportive. I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm if I'm a great promoter, mm. but but I tell them that you know we have to be excited about what we do, otherwise nobody else will be. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if you're not excited about what you do, nobody else will will, will yeah. think it's it's exciting or interesting. That's true. And so I think this is what I strive to maintain in the group: is we work hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm, uh, yeah. You know, we work hard, but 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 we have fun. Uh, don't worry, Thursday, 10.30, Thursday, right? Thursday, 10.30, yeah, yeah. so it's going to last a, a minute or two. <laughs> oh, a minute or two. Oh, it just goes? Oh, just, like, it goes between 30 seconds and, and two minutes. Okay. Well, I'll, or uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe it could be the... There we go. Okay. It's just gotten a little Ish. quieter. Yes. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Here we hey, go. There That's we go. it. There right. was two parts of the building. That's why it might... Uh, you can still hear it in a different can still part. the other part of the building, yeah. Yeah, yeah when, when you... Mentioned that, uh, you know, if we're not excited about what we're doing, nobody else will be. I flashed back to a lot of talks that I've sat through where the presenter was basically going, well, and that was the tone of like, you know, but then on the other hand, I mean, you know, it's difficult to speak in public and yes. some people do yeah. struggle with it. That's true. Um, so, you know, we. We need to be good at many things uh, nowadays, right? So you need to be able to do good science, of course, which is the baseline. Yeah. Uh, but good science that fits in uh, the bigger picture. Uh, then you're able to write well, speak well, uh, be the group. So it's quite quite a few aspects of it. None of us are good at everything. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And uh, yeah, because... Uh, we all have different skill sets, obviously, and different things that we feel kind of more comfortable with. And um, and as a as a group, like scientists, we're not great writers. Like our, okay. our, our I'm a you know, disaster. I'm afraid. Yes, our, I'm not a good writer at all. Our, it's a very painful process for me. So, in terms of getting people excited about our work, um, for me. the papers are not necessarily a good way to do that. Not for me, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I think I'm. A, I think I'm. A, I'm an okay speaker. I think you're a really good speaker. Yeah, I, I always you. enjoy listening to your, to your talks. So, so yeah, for me, the talks are the way to go. But unfortunately, people rely on the paper a lot more than the talks. Yeah, so, so unfortunately, that uh, does not play my favor. But again, well, like, I can't complain. Like you said, if you're um, excited... Okay. That, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I say, you know... If you're excited, that's like 80% of it. And then as long as you've got, you know, some, some ideas in there, then that's fine. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> all, all good, yes. yeah. Um, uh, I don't know why my brain just stopped. It happens occasionally. Just you know, kind of. So yeah, we need a break. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's there's so many different projects. I actually kind of I had a look at your website and um, was, this isn't like an agenda I've got in front of me. No, no, you know? that's fine. It's just a set of ideas. You know, stuff to, like organize my thoughts a little bit, but we don't have to talk about everything on the list. I'm okay. not I'm not going through you know doing questions exactly. It's not not that sort of thing. But I, I got a little overwhelmed because I'm like, there's so much I can't. Like, and I thought, okay, the machine learning bit would be would be good because uh, that's that's a big development in the field yeah. overall. And um, you know, I'm I'm trying to get into that a little bit. Um, oh, one one thing I'd like to talk about. So we talked about this community aspect of science and how you know a lot of it comes with like how well plugged into the environment that you are, and that kind of you know makes me aware that. There's a bit. There's a lot of geographical bias in that, isn't there? That you know, oh, yeah. just it's a function of kind of where you you happen to be, um, and that I'm sure there are tons of you know people with brilliant scientific minds all over the place who just aren't geographically mm-hmm. you know plugged in. They just don't happen to be in a place where there's a lot of yes. you know science. So, 
So I, I get excited about the idea of opening it up somehow, of, mm-hmm. and that's part of where you know, I think preprints come in, and part of where you know, putting lectures and whatever online mm-hmm. comes in, um, putting the code up online. I mean, the uh, obviously any one individual, you know, they're not gonna, they, they've got a finite amount of time, and if if we really did go towards a setup where it was completely open, um, it's it, um, you know, nobody could necessarily fully like shoulder the burden of, oh, I need to keep this entire giant online research community going, right? It would have to be something that, that sustains itself somehow. All the members mm-hmm. are in, in there are contributing and talking about it. Um, so I don't know what... I, I feel like something's probably going to change along those directions. I mean, a place like Oxford, a place like Cambridge, that's, that's not going to change dramatically. That's not going to, like, go away. But I think um, that, that and maybe we're seeing more of this you know, the more we put stuff just on the internet, code and papers and things, I, I wonder if we'll start to see more scientific com- contributions from folks who are just geographically in a somewhat remote place relative to the kind of academic network. Um, so I don't know. Are there? Do you have any thoughts on like that possible direction, or have you? Um, are things going to open up like this? I think I think there is a major effort to try to be as open as possible with all the science yeah. uh, we're doing. I think, as you said, there is a finite amount of time, right? So, so we have quite a few constraints we need to play with. One is that there is only twenty-four hours in a day, yeah. and you know, and we have many commitments. So, quite often, we delay the things until the last minute, right? I'm, I rarely put my code online while I'm working on it, simply because. I don't have time. I'm trying to fix my bugs. Yeah. I don't really want to put it online until you know I feel confident about it. So that delays things a little bit. Um, but but I think we are you know most of us are trying to be as open as possible, or at least you know putting things online again, preprint or or any of of those uh, things. You know I get requests all the time. So I you know I usually li- because I give I usually give talks about my work long before I publish anything. Yeah. Like sometimes you know can be something two years before where I have the preliminary results and I will give a talk. I do that too. Yeah, I like to do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that helps me, you know, sort out the story. And, and usually, I mean, again, of course, it depends on where you present and how you present. But now many of my talks are actually online because they get recorded and so people can see them anywhere. Um, and I get, you know, quite a lot of emails asking, you know, to chat about something or a piece of code, mm. um, which I'm always happy to, uh, you know, Always happy to share. Nice, yeah. I'm, I'm just a little slow on putting everything properly on GitHub, but we, we're slowly uh, trying to get to get upon this on, yeah. on this culture of, of doing it as quickly as possible. Where's the um, where's, where does the video live? You said you could see it wherever. So there are, I mean, I think there are a few places that do record. So for example, NCAR oh, okay. records yeah. all of their uh, lectures. Yeah, and they do these summer schools too, where they yeah. record every, everything. Every is recorded, so every speaker that goes through. I mean, unless the speaker refused to sign uh, the oh, agreement yeah. to be yeah. recorded, which is fair, right? I mean, uh, but other than that, then 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 it's recorded. Most of the workshop I go to now, uh, even if we're not recorded, the slides are put up online, so people, you know, have basically your presentation. Um, mm. So I think this is more and more just all over the place. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. It's it's just not centralized in a way yeah yeah like the american um meteorological society at these atmospheric and oceanic fluid dynamics meetings yeah so yeah i'm probably up there a few times yes (laughs) yes indeed that's a good meeting i like that one it's a nice size i love it good community yeah 
I haven't been back for a while. Is it this summer? Is the next one? Yes, yeah, so the next one is in June. I think it's in Maine. Oh yeah, June and May. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into that. It's you, always in June. Uh, yeah. And then they flip around the, uh, the venue. That's true. That's also in the UK. The season for the, you know, the hundred different project meetings all over. <laughs> think all I'm over on the a couple place, of you know. those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one of those is um, this TikTok project. Yeah? TikTok, Do you yes. want to talk about TikTok? Sure, sure. Mm. TikTok is exciting. T-I-C-T-O-C. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, so I can never remember what the acronym stands for, but the main idea is to use Transient Tracer. Transient. So it's Transient Tracer. Inversion. Sorry? Inversion? I can't remember. <laughs> I can there's climate in there, there's uh, yeah. you know, circulation, I think. And ocean ocean heat content. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, the, but I do know the main, uh, the main topic of yeah. the proposal, yes. obviously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's led by uh, Ellen McDonough from, uh, from Southampton. And, uh, and so the idea is to use transient tracers uh, and different, again, you know, mathematical and uh, computational tools. Uh, to understand the patterns of warming in the ocean. And a transient tracer is something that decays over time. So, yes, you know, and, and it can, exactly. So so basically by taking uh, repeat measurements of those tracers, we can see where they go, we can see where they started, where they ended up, how they get moved around yeah. by the ocean circulation. Like chlorofluorocarbons, like CFCs. Exactly, CFCs, yeah. yeah. So there are quite a few uh, a few of those. So, so kind of using as many of those tracers and, and some of the tools that uh, we know and love um, to understand yes, what's, you know, what sets the patterns of ocean warming. Yeah. How much is due to just you know, the ocean taking up uh, some of the extra heat in the atmosphere, putting it there, and how much is the ocean circulation taking that heat and moving it around uh, and redistributing uh, the warming and cooling patterns over the, over the globe, yeah. affecting sea level uh, and um, other quantities that we care about. And another good uh, transient tracer, I don't know if you all are using it in TikTok or not, is the um, like carbon isotopes that were created in uh, nuclear, nuclear tests, yeah, yeah, so, the n- nuclear yeah. Um, yes. explosions. So there are a lot of partners in TikTok, mm. uh, so a lot of PIs as yeah. well. So it's many institutions. So it's led by Southampton, uh, where there are quite a few people at Southampton working there. Then we are many institutions. So Imperial with uh, Heather Graven, where she will use uh, different carbon uh, uh, Situant to actually um, understand uh, hmm. this part of the, you know, this part of the problem. Yeah. There's Reading with uh, Jonathan Gregory, uh, Exeter uh, uh, with Marie Jose Messias and and Andrew Watson and Oxford uh, with uh, myself and uh, Samar Katiwala in our sciences. Uh, so I think I'm, I hope I didn't forget any main institution. And then we have yeah. quite a few partners. Bass uh, is hmm. one of our partners uh, with. Basically, we focus around so Mike Meredith, I think, being one of the main PI and, and kind of fitting in yeah. uh, into this, and mm. you know, Jan Zika, uh, Matt Palmer, so quite quite a few people. So there are really many many aspects yeah. uh, to TikTok. On which part are you kind of focusing on, or which which what's your corner of it? My corner of it. <laughs> um, so I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, idealized uh, modeling of you know what sets uh, patterns of heat content, what are the timescale, what are the main processes for it, uh, and, uh, and using uh, Green's functions uh, to reconstruct uh, the patterns of warming just using sea surface temperatures. There's something we should try to do. We should try to, in an audio-only format, describe what a Green's function is. That's what is. I was about yeah. to say. As soon as I said yeah. it, I was like, this is going to be a fun one. Well, maybe, uh, maybe between the two of us we can figure it out, right? Because... 
Okay, so so I was about to, to do... almost back. I was about to back out almost completely and and remove oh. that word. Yeah, yeah. I think we can't really erase it, but I will. Let's pretend I never said that. Well. We 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 just the the idea is simply <laughs> being able to you know to say that the ocean the basically the ocean volume so any parcel of fluid in, at the interior of the ocean at some point was exposed to the surface. Right. At some point it was ventilated. So so any parcel of water in the ocean has been advected and mixed uh, from the surface into the ocean interior. Yeah. And we're just using that principle yeah. with sea surface temperature to tell us what you know why the temperature at three thousand meter uh, in the Atlantic uh, is the way it is. Yeah. Where did they come from, you know? how the circulation affected it. Yeah. So you consider a parcel of water and that that parcel is made up of, you could, it has been influenced by you know, sea surface temperature in a lot of different places mm-hmm. all over the planet potentially and that the, you have to integrate the effect of all of those different kind of sea surface temperature anomalies to understand oh, what set the properties of that one water parcel that we're thinking about. Um, I remember this kind of came from... And also from... Was, was influenced by, you know, mixing an advection into the interior of the ocean. Yes. To get that yeah. right, so... And this is really closely related to that age of air concept in the yeah, stratosphere. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly this... the, That's exactly yeah. it. That's yeah. why I tried to back out my Green's function comments. That's okay. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I mean, the, 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 there is a way to describe these things, and it's okay. Like, and that, we basically have, you know, the, the Green's function is just the formalism of how you plug that into a bunch of equations. Indeed, and, exactly. You know, it's, that's that, fine. I mean, as, as we discussed early on, I am excited by the math and computational yeah. part of it. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it's exactly the same concept of, as, uh, of, as the age of, of tracers in the stratosphere, and yeah. that's been used in the ocean for quite some time, and, and some are. Cathy uh, Wallainer Sciences used it for carbon, for man-made carbon, man-made CO2, basically, yeah. uh, to reconstruct history of, of anthropogenic carbon uh, uptake into the ocean. Yeah. And we're, so we're using the same concept for heat. Where age is like, how long has it been since that bit of the parcel, you know, micro-parcel, has been exposed to the atmosphere? That that's kind of mm-hmm. when we... Can, talk about starting the clock like oh the last time it saw the atmosphere exactly that's when you start the clock so i, I kind of picture a cartoon of you've got a water parcel and you have all these tiny clocks that have started at the surface they've all t- they're ticking over and they all descend into the interior following convection and mixing mm-hmm. pathways and circulation pathways and they combine with each other into a parcel and then within that so within that parcel, you know, have a bunch of little clocks, and they all have different times shown on them, right? So you could draw yourself a graph of, on the horizontal axis, you plot um, all of the different times, and on the vertical you axis, you plot, like, how many clocks do I have in each one of those little bins of, of time? So you get a distribution of different ages. Mm-hmm. And the if you've got a parcel that has been mixed with a lot of uh, different clocks from different times, then that distribution would be kind of big, it'll be kind of spread out, right? Whereas if you have, let's say, just a single, um, like let's say you've got a real direct pathway from the surface ocean into the interior without much mixing, then you'll only have like a one kind of clock, basically. Yeah, you'll just have, oh, this is all, all of this water saw the atmosphere 100 years ago, Mm -hmm. and it hasn't mixed with anything else. Mm -hmm. You get a really sharply peaked distribution. Exactly. So like how narrow or wide that distribution of clocks is tells you about the mixing. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's exactly it, yes. 
And that's sort of what a, a Green's function is. Yes. A series <laughs> be, of clocks. To be, yes, a, yes. Series, a of series of clocks. Yeah. Yes. In a hand wavy sort of way. Exactly. And so, I yeah. mean, I think the new TikTok websites, uh, I mean, first with the word TikTok, obviously, does bring the clock mm. in it. So I think uh, there's a new logo uh, created by, uh, by the not only the fantastically talented scientist at Southampton, but apparently also very talented in making logos. So I think we have a little clock now nice. in TikTok. I, think, I don't know if, if it was purely related to the sum of clocks as you mentioned it, but uh, yeah. definitely it's in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it. I mean, it seems to be important now, right? Having a logo for your project. Yes, a, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is not one of my talents, mm-hmm. so I let other people do that. But it is, it is quite good. It gets back, gets back to the selling thing, doesn't it? About the, you know. I mean, it sounds kind of gross to use this language, but it is is—it is branding. Oh, oh, I hate saying that, but it is. <laughs> it's true. We have to, like, present a package or even ourselves as, like, yes. a, here's a, this is us, and this is the project. Mm-hmm. So, But it gives people something to latch onto, doesn't it? It's like a mental, a mental, um, you know, a coat hook mm-hmm. they can hang something on. Like, oh, that's where this goes. Indeed. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, it goes back to what we can explain and, and what becomes, you know, a bit too advanced uh, to explain so you know if, if you want to explain a green function that maybe you just back out of it and you just come up with, uh, clocks. with us, yeah, clocks exactly <laughs> or, you know mid in the ocean I think that works yeah. that works out pretty well just don't um, take it literally not, not a bunch exactly. of literal so we need, clocks I mean you know we all need to learn how to do that to try to make it accessible yeah, somehow it's true um, so the predictability stuff Okay. So Is, do you want to? Yeah, sure. Do we want to talk a little bit more about the predictability stuff? Sure. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you're in charge, right? I'm, uh... Not really. <laughs> okay, good. It's just a conversation. <laughs> okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, predictability. So I guess, um, well, I mean, that, that was my PhD, really. Actually, that's that's uh, something I I did during my PhD, which I then put on the shelf for quite some yeah. time when I started doing new things. Um, like how predictable is the ocean? Some aspect of the ocean yeah almost the the other way around you know my my pessimist side of me is how unpredictable uh, the ocean is or what limits (laughs) what limits the predictability uh, of of the ocean uh, rather than how well can you predict it so you know so 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 that started in my PhD so kind of thinking about uh, the overturning circulation which has been brought forward as you know something that that does impart a lot of predictability mm-hmm. uh, in the ocean, especially sea surface temperature. And that's the large scale north south up down exactly. kind of circulation. Indeed, warm yes. water north, cold water south south deep, deep below. Yes, ish, yeah. sinking ish at high latitudes. Yes. Um, so yes. So how the circulation can influence sea surface temperature, ocean heat content. Uh, so basically, how warm uh, the water is and how warm would it stay. Or, and um, so, so, so yeah. So that was part of my PhD, and, and again, I put that a little bit on the shelf for, for a little while, and came back to it. Uh, I guess a few years later, again, trying to. There's a lot out there, right, when yeah. it comes to predictability, from statistical methods to huge uh, general circulation models uh, that try to kind of mimic what we what we do for weather forecasts, where you're. You know, you put some initial condition into your model uh, from observations, and then you run the model forward uh, in time to see what the model answer is in terms of what the temperature is expected to be or, you know, what the circulation is expected to be. So it's been a big enterprise uh, in in the last few years, and and we remain kind of, you know, within the mainstream, but not quite, quite there. 
still kind of you know poking at when I mean can we really predict that far mm. or which information should I really use to predict as far or what will lim- or what type of errors will limit my predictability I mean what can I say truly about the uncertainty uh, in those experiments so that's really what we've been trying to push in the sense uh, nothing is as deterministic as we want it to be yeah so trying yeah. to understand a little bit how unpredictable uh, different parts yeah. of the system and, are. And the unpredictability, a lot of that comes from the fact that the ocean is turbulent. So it gets yeah. moving, it gets going, and it starts, you get instabilities mm-hmm. that get amplified, and these instabilities turn into small scale circulation features that, exactly. you know, they've got some spatial and temporal structure, mm-hmm. they change quickly, and that makes it really hard to you know, predict what the ocean is doing, like for long time scales. Exactly. Yeah. So fundamentally, we are limited, yes, due to the non-linearities and yeah. instability of the system, and we're also limited by two other uh, parts of the problem. I won't talk about the long-term climate change. I'm only going to talk about the first few years and or ten years of predictability. The other two important aspects is our observations are imperfect. Yeah. So no matter what you do, even when you initialize the model, you still have an imperfect initialization, and so. That, yeah. that you know you don't really know the problem. temperature everywhere you know yeah definitely yeah. don't yeah. Um, and the other part is our models are imperfect yeah and, and they, we need to be able to account for that yes because they don't know we can give them some basic physical laws like momentum and here's how momentum gets around here's how heat is distributed and gets just transformed but we don't know we can't give a model a mathematical representation of the super small scale processes and how those affect the big scale processes, mm-hmm. which gets back to that machine learning thing we started the podcast exactly. with. Yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly. So our models are great representations of you know of, of the system, but they're still imperfect. We we can't resolve all the scales. Um, you know the the resolutions so or the green box size that we use to you know to propagate our our equations of motions are much larger than the scale that we you know. That we really need, and yeah. um, so all of you know all of those aspects. Whether we the representation that we put in for those processes are imperfect, we are missing some processes. So all of this need to be taken into account and and, and really kind of uh, yeah been understood or at least you know for sure be accounted for. Because a lot of that you know, comes from computational limitations. You know that even in this era of having these gigantic supercomputers, we still have this. Um, a limitation because we're talking about yeah we need to uh, t- talk about the temperature at every single grid box every single time oh yeah by the way and salinity and three components of a velocity vector uh, oh and some mixing coefficients exactly. and so, yeah. but, so you, you very quickly end up with a lot of equations a lot of mm-hmm. grid boxes and that, yeah. that can tax even you know our biggest supercomputers when we're talking about trying to make projections yeah and, and again you know we remained in the uh, kind of in the framework of a few decades right but you know the ocean I just on, on very long time scale so thank you if you were doing paleo which you know, many people do so so this requires a very large computation for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, um, they, they tend to use coarser models, though, because well, they have the, to. But that's the problem, right? Yeah. Because they, I mean, they don't really have a choice. I'm sure they would be quite happy if they could use higher resolution. Mm. It's just that because you need to run for longer, then you sacrifice uh, something, yeah. as, you, as you well described, right? That's, it's computationally intensive. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, and I, I like that you, you mentioned that 
you know, we weren't talking about climate change just then. That's not what we were discussing. You know, we were discussing more like a weather prediction for the ocean. You know, how, how far in advance, in ish, roughly. Ish, yeah. Because, you know, predicting climate over long time scales is weirdly kind of, it's easier than predicting weather over like, you know, a couple weekly time scale or monthly time scale. Because, you know, weather... Um, Weather depends really sensitively on your initial conditions and you know just how you've tuned everything. But climate's more of a boundary value problem where, well, I know how much energy is coming in and I know how you know I know something about how that energy is going to get distributed around. So yeah, I can say really confidently if you put more CO two in the atmosphere, you get more energy down here and things warm up. And right, so we're good at that. We can do that. But we, yeah, we're very good at this part yeah. of the problem. We're not yeah. as good in the patterns of change. I think yes. that's where we struggle. Yeah, and um, you know where I guess, well, I guess both Fuhrer and my expertise come in. You know how the large scale mm. dynamics and and you know influence the patterns of warming and sea level yeah. and many other aspects. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I mean for the climate, we need the large scale quantities, and those we do pretty well. When you look at extremes, we're not doing great for climate change, I guess. For the extremes? Yeah, oh, yeah. Because, again, like... it's, it's now you need to take weather and changes in baseline climate together. Yeah. And so we're not, you know, we, I mean, we everybody's working on this, so it's, yeah. it's an important topic, but, but now you're bringing those two pieces of the puzzle together, that's and so true. that's, you know, that requires a lot of work, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty in those... Uh, yeah. in those projections it's not necessarily as simple as let's just shift the Gaussian distribution up a few degrees yeah. and like you know that you can start there but that's not yeah, necessarily you can start like, there you know, but it won't get you too far right because yeah. then if you start changing um, you know the behavior of some weather patterns by doing that then we're still not quite sure yeah. how and again it's it, and you know and you know, on the global mean, then you can understand roughly what might happen. But it's again when you go down to the regional scale yeah. that it becomes more uh, tricky. Yeah, we, we, may have already, we may have already kind of touched on this a bit, but um, I like to ask folks. Um, so, kind of looking ahead in the field, and this could be oceanography or climate or you know wherever whatever you want to talk about. Um, do you see any potential for big step changes, big like in, in terms of how we do stuff, big kind of revolutions or breakthroughs, or do you think it's going to be more of a refinement process, you know, of, of, of small changes, of making a bunch of small changes? Um, and I'll let you kind of decide, you know, what do you consider big versus small? You know, we, and we talked about the machine learning bit, and that's obviously big and coming. It is here. You know, I, I don't think we can say it's coming anymore. I think it's properly like here now. <laughs> um, But uh, I was just thinking about the challenge of funding stuff over decades, which people have managed to do, but I guess it's in bits and pieces here and there somehow, right? Like something like Argo. It's not like there's not one central pot where everyone said, okay, this is now the Argo pot of money. It's more like um, you know, in individual grants, people will say, well, yeah. I'll, offer to, I'll, I'll throw in a few Argo floats as part of this cruise. Indeed, right? yes. Yeah. Indeed. So uh, I guess any large-scale kind of changes in observation will probably be something like that where it's distributed yeah. you know yeah that, that's very likely I mean you know funding agencies are, are something that we never quite know how that would work I mean they have their priority and so you know continu you know, continuing large large scale project is you know 
some of it isn't their priority sometimes it's not so that's always a little bit unpredictable so in that sense I always feel slightly lucky that I don't need to be on the observational side and, and worry too much about this but I do feel for for the community and for people who are involved in this because it's you know it is an important tool yeah. I mean I use satellite data all the time uh, you know I rely on Argo I rely on direct measurements and yeah. this is how I understand the oceans uh, it's critical. Um, so, so it's it's really critical. So for me, I think you know, major yeah, major pro- major observational projects are usually where I did feel that it was a, a huge uh, step change in in the way we we understood the ocean. Yeah. And the way we understood the oceans in climates. And again, yeah. So we go back to our first uh, to our first discussion, as you said, machine learning is here. Yeah. I do see that as a major, uh, you know, as a major player in the way uh, we will move forward with mm. using our models, uh, making faster algorithms, better optimizations, better representation of subgrid scale parameterizations, yeah. um, and you know, we reach the limitation of how far we can push with our mm. usual methods. Um, so we need to find a way to include them, but again, with with some you know slight uh, you know caution on let's not use them just as a black box. We need to remember they're just fast algorithms that learn many relationships. We need to be able to extract the right physics from those relationships, or the right way to use the algorithms. Yeah. And I think this this will be a major uh, uh, um, you know major aspect of. of of computational oceanography yeah. and computational climate for sure uh, modeling yeah i kind of was just thinking about how I, I am excited about the machine learning push but it's also kind of inevitable and it feels like yeah you have to there probably aren't you know, I, I think it's going to be in such a kind of dominant position in the field that like you're probably going to need to like everybody's going to need to be familiar with it at least to at least kind of know how it works roughly and because it's going to be all over you know and and that's obviously a huge umbrella you can't be an expert in all of it but the kind of Mm -hmm. philosophy of it and how does that general thing work Mm -hmm. i think yeah you'll have to yes i think everybody needs to get on board at one point or another uh yes as uh, it will be part of of Yes, it will be part of our day-to-day in terms of doing science Yeah, for, sure. for many decades to come. But again, the question is, I mean, you can't use it as a black box without understanding what you're doing, and I'm yeah. not sure this will be a true advance. I think we need, again, to think carefully on what we can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, otherwise we can just repeat all the stuff we've done 50 years, for the last 50 years, hmm. just slightly faster, but <laughs> learning absolutely nothing new. <laughs> Uh, and that would be uh, that would be a bit of a shame. It would be, yeah. All we would learn is like, yep, you can do it this way too, and that's exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I can, uh, you know. Mm. So the question is, yeah, what, what do you do with it? Extracting something scientific out of it, like we were saying, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I was talking with uh, Rachel Ferner, who um, she she worked in ocean modeling for many years at the Met Office, and now she's um, a PhD student at at Cambridge doing machine learning, and she mentioned uh, overhearing a, a talk where. Uh, it was a conversation between radiologists, mm-hmm. and the, so the, and during the presentation, this radiologist, you know, showed a bunch of uh, machine learning type results of like, oh, here's how you interpret some of the scans. Here's how we can get an algorithm to interpret some of the scans that we do. And uh, a member of the audience said, so what do you think? Uh, in a few years, are, are these algorithms just going to replace us? Are they just going to, you know, take our jobs away? And the speaker said, well, no, not. It's not that they're going to take your jobs away. It's not that machine learning is going to replace your jobs. It's just that there won't be any radiologists who don't use 
<laughs> machine learning. That yes. like, and I, I don't know if that's true for us. Or obviously, we've got observational folks who are going to go out and keep taking measurements. You know, unless I, we find a little you know, robot, we can can do everything for us. Yeah, that's true. But they probably won't <laughs> get to the stage of like you know a ship transects, I right? You're, you know? you're, you're trying to still find ways to. Uh, uh, we are irreplaceable. We gotta have some something to do, right? You still need uh, like a ship transect uh, or something. Yeah, I mean, you would expect that, um, I mean, the, in terms, again, in terms of the tools and what we can do with it, we might be replaced by, you know, many things. I think, again, for the big questions, the big picture, I mean, we still need to be around to think about this. Yeah. Unless they really can learn that by themselves, and that would be very sad. An algorithm that um, can write its own nature papers and just, you know. They can write for me. I mean, <laughs> for the writing part. For the writing part, yeah. yes. So, like, I'll, t- I'll take that. I'll happily take that, as long as they don't take my ideas. Yeah, but uh, so I'm happy ca- for them to write for me. Turn your camera on, and so the ultimate would be you turn your camera on, and you just describe the results, and then yeah. and then uh, they the, go and, and they write, and the then the algorithm writes your paper for you. Sounds great. <laughs> like, I'm uh, I'm sold. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Do you mind if we talk about like your pathway? Into the into the field, sure. You know, like how you end, uh, how you ended up, you know, uh, here in this office uh, in this particular moment, you know, like the kind this of particular like, you know, moment. Uh, yeah. How yeah? How how early are we talking here? Well, so yeah, I, I guess we could start in the beginning. I mean, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, well, I don't know what the beginning what, is. Right. <laughs> um, so you um, you grew up in. Or you were born in France. Yeah, so I was born in Marseille. Marseille, yeah, yeah, south of France. Mm. Um, so my uh, yeah, so my entire family uh, came from. I mean, like many immigrants, I guess, uh, uh, Jews from uh, North Africa yeah. and Spain and Italy. So kind of moved around the Mediterranean quite a bit, uh, and um, so so yeah, then settled in in the south of France after uh, being in Algeria, which mm. was part of France back then. Oh, okay, it was part of the part of the, part uh, of the empire. Yeah. Was it still well, an empire? I guess at the time? Uh, or colonies like or all colony? of those yeah. things, whatever okay. you want to call it. Yeah. But it wasn't uh, a territory of 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 the French. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, yes. um, so yeah, so much. So yeah, most of my uh, mom and 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 dad side basically were around. Um, Spain, Italy, yeah. and, and North Africa, and part in Israel as well. What did your folks so, do? Um, so, so my dad was a butcher. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So my parents never graduated from high school, so they left school at the age of fourteen. Yeah. So my dad and his brother had a, a butchery, uh, and his dad as well. There in Marseille. The, my parents passed away a long time ago, but oh, they were sorry, yeah. no, it's right. And so, but they they were in Marseille. Yeah. And my mom was a secretary. So first she raised us uh, for quite some time, and then uh, went back to work yeah. as a secretary. Yeah. When you say us, how many? How many so kids three. Three kids. So three. Yeah. Yeah. Brother, sister, who are fifteen and twelve years older than me. Okay. And then me. Yeah. Oh, so you're the youngest. I was the youngest. Yeah. yeah I far. could. Uh, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like that? You like the. Big well, I mean, you know, this good. is the only thing I I knew, but at least I didn't need to share the same thing at the same time, right? Mm. They were quite old when I arrived. And you still had those older siblings to like. Well, I don't know. It, it's some space, some age between you and a full adult. You know that I imagine that was that helpful, like having that kind of. Yeah, I mean, it was quite. Room? I mean, it was quite useful in the sense that 
Yeah, I mean, you know, so my parents went through the whole, you know, raising two small kids early on, and then when I arrived, they were a bit tired, so that was great. Uh, I could, uh, Are you alive? <laughs> great, okay. <laughs> so, I, so I can do, uh, you know, yeah. I had a little bit more freedom to some extent, mm-hmm. but they, can, they could also rely on my brother and sister to, uh, you know, take care of me when, uh, when necessary. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, no, I mean, you know, again, this is the only thing I, I knew, yeah, so, sure. so it worked out pretty well for me, and uh, it was fun, we get, yeah, we get along. So that's mm. always good. And your siblings, what do they have to do with us, if you don't mind? No, no, no problem. So, uh, so my sister lives in Guadeloupe, uh, so, which is France yeah. as well, but French Caribbeans. So that's good. Mm. Uh, we do vacations there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she works in IT. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah, my brother passed away also a long time oh. ago. So. Oh, sorry. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, mm. so so that's great. You know, I get to go visit my sister when it's very very cold, uh, especially when uh, when I was in uh, in Boston mm. uh, for my PhD. I could uh, I could go and see her when I was, you know, yeah. minus ten degrees Celsius in Boston. I could go and enjoy a twenty five degrees Celsius warm weather. And, and from here, sunlight. You know, yeah, like here in December, there's just a little sunlight. It, it doesn't get super cold here to me. I no, don't think. Just, but no, there's no light. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, right. right now we get sun. That's nice. I mean, yeah, kind for of. For the next exactly. four hours? And well, I was about to say for the next five minutes before clouds show up. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yes, so, so I guess, yeah, so that's, that's it for my family, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I finished high school in, in France, in Marseille. In Marseille yeah. Yeah. Is that a big, I don't know much about Marseille. I, I had a, one of my old professors used to go there regularly for astrophysics and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I guess he was going to the university there, but I don't know anything about it. Um, is, okay. it is it big? or So the city, I mean, it's like, I guess, you know, it's second uh, biggest city in France, I guess. Mm. Sometimes we're ranked second, sometimes third after okay. Lyon, so we, we fight it out. It uh, just depends. Yeah, it's fairly big, you know, uh, one million plus, I guess, yeah. uh, uh, people. So it's fairly big, but it kind of a little spread, uh, spread out to some extent. Mm. Um, it's a city of immigrants, um, so it's very diverse. You're, you know, you've got people from everywhere to port city, right? So mm. usually immigrations from all around Mediterranean and usually end up in the south of France. So you, you know, mm. nobody around you comes from the same place as the same history, uh, which is I, I always felt great about this. Um, also because my family were. So it was pretty uh, moved around everywhere, so I always felt very comfortable yeah. uh, to be surrounded by people that have you know similar mm. uh, you know similar history. Where oh, where are you from? Well, okay, you need to come up with like four countries yeah. in the last uh, in the last you know sixty yeah. years or something like this. Um, yeah, there's plus so, that and a bit of that and a bit of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and even people that you know. I mean, so I was born in Marseille, and even my you know my 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 friends from school were also born in Marseille. Maybe the parents were born in Marseille, but rarely the grandparents. Mm. Or, or even friends, so so it's always kind of uh, so sounds really, kind of interesting. There weren't really like neighborhoods where oh, folks from this. So there's a little bit of little that. Bit of yeah, that. there's a little bit of that, of course. I mean, again, mm. you know, this, I think this is human nature, right? Um, when when you immigrate, there's usually a, a corner mm. uh, of the city that is a certain population, but yeah. but the school districts were split across quite a few of the neighborhoods, so you ended up with people again from oh, okay. from various places. Yeah, I don't know from personal experience, but that seems to happen a lot in the states where you get you know neighborhoods and school systems that are like. Well, it's you know folks from this particular mm-hmm. area. They they like a lot of folks settled there, yeah. And you get these. Um, and I, I wonder sometimes about if those uh, end up 
how much mixing there is in, in the kind of like way you talked about it, right? You know, schools kind of bringing folks from yeah, I think kind it of was mostly from yeah, I think it was again depending on really where you live. I yeah. mean, some neighborhood will have a school which will be exactly within you know, the realm of that neighborhood, of that, um, you know, set of people, so you get less exposed. We're kind of in the city center to some extent, so yeah. it was a little bit more diverse in that sense. Did you have some feeling for, like, you know, were, were you interested in mathematical, scientific stuff? When, when did you first start to kind of lean in that direction and start to like, oh, this is, like, this is kind of fun, I can play around with this a little bit? Or... Yeah, so, so I think I was, I mean, I think I was pretty good at math yeah. very early on. Um, so, I, you know, I could pick things up yeah. pretty quickly. You noticed like your very, brain could do very it. Very young, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, slight anecdotes, I guess. So my, so in my, so in Marseille, everybody likes to play cards, usually, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, poker and and tarot and all this kind of stuff. And because I had the older uh, brother and sisters, when they used to play cards with their friends, and somebody was missing, they used to bring me. Uh, to bring me on mm. the game, and I could win yeah. most of the game. You could <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think they realized pretty quickly I was uh, quite good at, at some of those logical steps um, mm. and numbers and things like this. So, some of them. How are you winning? Was it just noticing patterns and you know? Having, I don't know. Like, to be sure, perfectly yeah. honest, I have no <laughs> idea. All I can remember as a kid is I was winning. <laughs> you know, that was good enough for me. <laughs> I don't think I realized at that stage that I was uh, you know, that I was good at it. I just realized I was winning, which made me quite happy. My brain um, can do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think yeah, I think I, very early on I was quite good at the yeah the math physics part of it um, and enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I, I, it was fairly natural for me to do it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really pay attention to some extent. It was just something. Um, I was good at, but you yeah. know, no more, no less. And then, um, so it was like high school, and, and you, you kind of uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so again, I think it's again one of the things where, you know, I was you know, I did I did like school. I just didn't like going to school very much. Sure, uh, yeah. Um, well, almost not at all. So I, I, I kind of struggle my mid teens, I guess. Mm. Where yeah, I mean, I was very good at school, and that you know, I was very yeah. Could be very good, but I just didn't like to go, mm-hmm. which then at some point caught up with me. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I see a little bit of that with my 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 son at the moment. Like he he's when he goes and plugs in, he's really good and he can he can take care of it. But sometimes he just really you know doesn't want to go, which is totally understandable. I yeah. think you know every kid feels like that sometimes. Exactly. Like, so yeah, yeah, so it took me a while then to uh, kind of uh, get my act together and then go back. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I always had a job very early on, so I I always used to go to work. Oh, yeah. And do some, yeah, do some work. Lordy, pretty much everything you can think of. But, I mean, for example, even when I was not going to school, I was still a math and physics tutor. I was very good at it, mm. but that didn't particularly like you, you, going you, and sitting in the classroom uh, <laughs> and doing something. Um, so even while you were in school, you were tutoring? Like, you yeah. were tutoring, and, uh, okay. Yeah. And, and you sounded like you liked that more than actually going to the classroom. Yeah, going and yeah. sitting down and uh, listening to somebody talk. Yeah. So yeah, I think you know. I think at some point I realized that I might, you know, that was not the most productive thing, or at least they made me realize that uh, I might, you know, I might flunk it out if uh, if, <laughs> if you, I don't wake up don't to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but again, it was also one of those things where you know my brain was like, okay, you know, this is an hour or or not. So yeah, just just to like to empathize with you a bit, I wanted to share. Um, I'm not saying that my story is similar, but I also had a period in high school where I, I was in algebra two, and for some reason I just checked out. 
I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm not going to do this anymore. And it, it's actually somewhere there's a piece of paper that charts this because we were doing a standardized test that week. And the first day of the standardized test I was trying. And the second day, I don't really know what happened, to tell you the truth. I just was out. And I just, I'm not doing this. And so you can see the bar plot of my score, like from day to day on those tests, you know, yeah, went from pretty so high to just, right. <laughs> just yeah, to the bottom. Blank, yeah. So I, um, oh, I, I failed Algebra 2 that term just because I, I switched off. Um, but then I took it uh, in summer school. So in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, that's one of your options is if you yeah. want to retake a high school class, you can mm-hmm. take it in summer school. Um, so I did that. And it was like a light bulb turned back on because you know what we did in this summer school algebra two class is you would go there and do algebra for a couple hours and then leave. You know, it wasn't this like you didn't have to be trapped in a building, in building yeah, all day yeah. with these. You know, and in high school, so much of the of your time and energy was spent just with like the teacher dealing with the class and just yeah. trying to get everybody to calm down and be on the same page. And for some reason, this summer school class worked much better because mm-hmm. we just dropped in and yeah. we did, did the math, did the work, and it, which I didn't mind. That wasn't the part that was so bothering me. So that's the thing, me. yeah, it was the same yeah. for me. I, yeah. I had no problem doing the work. Yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, also I was not in the greatest school at all, so mm-hmm. you know, teachers were not the most inspiring. And So I'm not blaming you know, anyone, no, no. I'm blaming myself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I was missing something, and you know... Uh, Maybe for, you know, if I can be so bold as to, you know, try to find a common element in our story. Please. We just like, in those moments where we just like not, we weren't plugged in, right? I mean, we talked about being plugged into a community of Mm -hmm. some sort in the beginning Mm -hmm. of this podcast, right? And it sounds like, you know, in those moments, we were just like, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a part of it, (laughs) whatever this is. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think there was a little bit of that. and, And so, you know. Yeah. So at some point something clicked in me, uh, you know, decided that it was, uh, you know, still worthwhile to continue. Yeah. Um, so, I, so do you have a sense of what it, what it was, or it just happened? You know, and I'm not. You, you yeah. don't have to have an answer. But no, you know. like, I don't know if I do or don't. I mean, you know, hindsight twenty twenty, mm-hmm. maybe or something like this. But yeah. again, you know, I'm with first generation graduating from high school in my family, so I felt, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's important to at least do that um, and see yeah. and also again because to some extent it's not that I was lacking the ability it's yes. just that uh, it just didn't feel uh, you know yeah for some reason it just didn't feel like it. going in yeah in there but well, was, but yeah. again you know it was a short uh, period of time and yeah. then uh, you know then uh, then get my act together and, uh, and uh, so university after that so yeah so well I moved to Israel after that okay. so when I graduated from just me just you yeah mm. so part of my mom's family is in Israel uh, as well but just me yeah uh, change of scenery yeah. so I learned Hebrew mm. you didn't know it before then uh, nope. you, you learned it like well, short, I knew you know, a few things few but things, uh, yeah. yeah but but not not fluently yeah I learned Hebrew I uh, passed some tests to convert my uh my high school degree from France into something that is acceptable for Israel. Oh, wow. Got a job. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I got multiple jobs. Uh, so, you, so, yeah, I left a country where you don't pay to go to university, to go to a country where you pay to go to university. So, you do so I had to, uh, yeah. yeah, in Israel, you have to pay for it. Oh, okay. So And it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to, yeah, get myself a job before I could start. Then, yeah. What kind then, of jobs? Uh, Is there everything? Everything, everything mm. uh, really, everything, everything that was possible to do, I did. Okay. No, yeah. yes, no problem at all with all of it, and kept and kept wandering undergrad as well. Uh, mm. 
just to keep you know paying the bills and stuff yeah. like this. And that a, that was usually, I mean, a bit of tutoring or and mostly actually cleaning uh, buildings and offices because yeah. you can't do it at night, which right. works quite well. So you can go to school during the day. And go to school, you do your homework, mm. you hang out with friends and do something, and then at night. You know, you, and you in Israel you get paid very well, and they pay social security and healthcare when you are in one of those companies. So you work okay. for two hours, but you get paid like you work for sex because nobody likes those kind of jobs. Oh uh, right, yeah. Well, so because it's you know not the most uh, I guess you know, well thought after uh, job, and you have to do yeah. it after it's closed. I think so people the, are not super keen on doing that. No, that's right. I think in the UK they would call it uh, antisocial hours. They would is how they would is probably the phrase they would use. Yes, say, like, it, it was antisocial, but I was social the entire day. You know, mm. so so it's okay to be antisocial for, <laughs> for a few hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I did a, a little bit. Of that. I had a, a job in a gas station, petrol station through. A lot of undergrads, so that was my, and that's another. That's something I could do at night too, mm-hmm. right? I go to school during the day and then go do my evening shift, you know, at the gas station, do my uh, do my homework sitting there, you know, like in between customers trying to like frantically do my homework. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So, what were you studying in, in undergrad? So, so I mean, again, before starting, I I thought a lot about what I wanted to study and yeah. whatnot, and so physics and math were things that I found very attractive. But I was worried that it was too, you know, part of it was, was too esoteric. And so, so mm. I went to all the open days. So Tel Aviv University was my kind of uh, main main choice at that time. And so, so I went to the, uh, you know, the math. So maybe you can show up and listen to a few courses. And, and, and yeah, I felt it was, you know, I was like, I love math, but this is a little, you know, but, you know, too much for me. I, I mm. like the application mm. side of it. And so when I went to the physics lectures, then I enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. But then the problem is then when I saw the syllabus that you have to do, um, I, I'm not a fan of labs, and you had to do oh. labs for the whole four years for, you know, at least two half days a week. Oh, right. You didn't love, you didn't love the idea of that? Did not, no, no. Yeah. Definitely did not like the idea of it. And it's... then I run into someone during those open days and we're chatting about, you know, the course. And and so a couple of people were like, oh, we, we actually, you know, after one year in physics, we switched to, I don't know what it's called anymore. I think now it's called, uh, you know, uh, geophysics or sciences. But back then it was uh, atmospheric physics, geophysics and planetary physics which is basically kind of the name of what we have here, you oh, know, nice. some variation of it. Okay. And they're like, um, you know, and you can do exactly the same course as physics, except <laughs> that in the last two years, rather than do the labs, then you do things like fluid dynamics and, mm. you know, atmospheric physics. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, that okay. sounds interesting. <laughs> you know, this is a good compromise. Um, so, so yeah, I felt like it was the best of both worlds. That makes me smile. It's like, what's that? I don't have to do labs? All right. <laughs> I'm in. No, but again, oh. you know, for me, there was always the aspect of I wanted something applied. Yes. I, I, this is the part I enjoy. So I enjoy the math and the, and the physics side, but I love applying it to something. Yeah, and, and And for me, the lab, it was not so much I didn't like the labs. It's just that, you know, the electrons and electromagnetism and things like mm. this always felt like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, but... I, yeah, give me the applications to it, and there I get excited. Yeah, and I think again that's you know that's a very personal, sure. uh, you know, it's a very personal choice. Um, and for me, this is the part that I find very appealing: is that oh, okay, so yes, first I don't do the labs, which is great, or at least only half of them. <laughs> but most importantly, I get I get to actually study how physics apply to you know 
problems that are things that I can see yeah. and I always find that very exciting and so you know so I started talking to a lot of people who were in that program you know trying to understand a bit how it works and basically you had the same curriculum yeah. uh, except again except that you were adding a bunch of courses uh, that were related to atmosphere well, there was almost, there was no ocean but there was mostly atmosphere and planetary physics yeah. and geophysics uh, for the most part. So really kind of get all your equations uh, in one, you know, in one context yeah. for things that I felt I was excited about and was always excited about. So I think that definitely for me was talking to a few people, then talking to a few of the lecturers, I felt like this is it, you know, this yeah. is my home. This is where I felt like I'm going to be excited, I'm going to be challenged, mm. I'm going to learn new things and, and I can apply yeah. and I can apply my skills to something you know, something I like. That's Going right. back to the bottom line is you have to be excited to do it. Yeah, totally. You do, right? Absolutely. And it, it's it's absolutely the case. It, it's weird how it can sound self-indulgent, you know, when you say it, it as like, oh, well, I have to find something that I love. It is. But at the same time, you know, subjectively, you're probably not, I don't know, maybe I'm being too broad, but you're probably not going to be really good at something if you kind of hate it or kind of resent it or kind of feel like ah this isn't really for me if you're really plugged in and excited about it and you love it that's gonna that's gonna make some aspects of it easier for you it's not a recipe for instant success necessarily but but, you know when you're plugged in it it makes all the the hours you need to spend you know it doesn't those hours don't necessarily feel like work anymore they don't necessarily feel like you're having to fight to pay attention to something you just you want to get into it and you want to learn it yeah and and again for me i always tell that you know in the back of my mind i am so privileged to be able to go to university i don't want to waste uh you know i i I don't want to waste it if i if i go for it then i do it right and for the right reason and for the right topic or i don't do it at all yeah absolutely Um, so so i so for me, it was a it was a very important choice, and it took me a long time to yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that I was going in uh, into something for the for the right reason and not uh, yeah yeah yeah. And and luckily, you know, you were fortunate enough that um, your your interests uh, were plugged into something that was oh, you yeah. know reasonably like you can apply it and you can do stuff with it yeah. and like. And there are fields where maybe it's even harder to get into that, you know, if somebody's really passionate about acting, you know, for example, you know, yes. that, that's a scary road too. Yeah. You know, that, that can be really difficult to, to crack into. I mean, again, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, yes, I knew that no matter what, I will have some degree one way or another so I can find a job, you know, which maths. was something I definitely, um, yeah, that, that definitely thought about. And, but again, I, I am extremely privileged to both to be able to go to school um, and also again as you say to end up in this office at this uh, (laughs) at this time (laughs) and that's part of why and I I feel that way too I feel really privileged and that's part of why um, I get excited about the idea of opening things up a bit and you know putting stuff up online more freely and more openly and, and trying to make myself more available too I'm not saying I'm some excellent resource, but I just like that concept of, I agree. I, I, you know, I've gotten so privileged that I want to be open. I want to, like, do what I can to, mm-hmm. to help, you know, take some of this good stuff that I've found and share it in whatever yeah, little right. tiny way that I can, which is part of what, what I hope this is. You know, I hope that this is doing that for, for some folks, um, the, the whole podcast thing. Um, yeah, so, that's, so that was... Uh, I didn't know that you had started in atmospheric oceanic stuff so early yeah. you know, yeah. right from undergrad because yeah, yeah, often yeah. folks yeah. will do physics or so, something yeah exactly so I mean and again I think it's it's also because in in Tel Aviv 
So it's not it's not an earth science department uh, in in that sense. Is that it sits, you know, in the same building as 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 physics. So it's kind of two little units next to one another. So all the core curriculum is physics yeah. with a few additions and minus a bit of uh, yeah minus a bit of lab. Right. Yeah. So uh, otherwise, if that w- I probably would not have gone to a pure earth science department. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that part that. I'm pretty sure about. Because I, I didn't even know that department existed in Tel Aviv, actually, mm-hmm. until I really sat down and, and people talked to me. And then I look at the curriculum. I think if the curriculum was more earth science-like, yeah. I probably would not have, have picked it. But I think the fact that it was you know, with the physicists uh, for the main trunk of it, with just some additions, that, that's what made me kind of go for it. Yeah. yeah. You also mentioned something else that I love about our field is you know, we can span the full breadth from, we can be as, as esoteric as we want to be, and we can be as applied as we want to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can think of, we can, we can go in the esoteric direction. We can like, oh, well, what, uh, what symmetries do our conservation laws have? Mm-hmm. And what, what conservation laws do those symmetries produce? You know, the very abstract, you know, kind of mathematics. Mm-hmm. Or we can go talk about like, Oh, I need to calibrate my salinometer so that I can correctly measure the salinity in this this bottle. Yeah. And like, I just it, it feels um, like a big playground to me having that full access to you know. Obviously, your work is constrained a bit by like, what do I need to get done? But in, in terms of you know, I I I, I guess um, that's another way that I I just, I just get excited about that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That full breadth because some fields I think maybe feel a bit narrower and the like. Like you mentioned, like if you're doing mathematics. I mean, that, that sends you down a very particular road of, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be producing proofs and I'm going to be just... Well, I think, again, that's, I mean, you know, there are many ways to do math, right? Yeah, there, are, yeah, there are many applied true. math. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, people would do many different things. I think, again, you know, we all find what works for us. In yeah. our case, the, I mean, as you say, we get excited by the fact that we have this breadth yeah. of, of uh, you know, of possibilities, to some extent, from something fairly theoretical to something fairly applied. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, we get lucky. We find what we want. I think, you know, if, if I wanted something more pure, well, probably my skills would not uh, be quite right for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I wasn't trying to say that mathematicians can't do <laughs> no, 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 of course, specific I think we things, all, yeah. but it, it puts them in a different frame of operation. That's true. So. Yes, that's true. Yeah. 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 So yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And then, um, so after yeah, Tel Aviv. then masters, yeah, masters at Weizmann Institute, uh, and then PhD in the US. Hmm. Was it a big um, culture like moving to Israel? Was the culture very different from Marseille, and you had to make some adjustment in some way there, or did it feel again? You know, it's a country of immigrants, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know, again, I feel fairly comfortable with. There you go. Uh, <laughs> It's along the Mediterranean, so again, you know, there was there were some aspects of it that uh, you know that I f- that felt very much like home. Mm. Um, I mean, it is home for me, really, even if it's not the place I grew up in. Mm. Um, you know, I, I you know I go back, I I feel you know this is my home. Something even makes though, sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was something in, that yeah. you know that works out. I mean, not that I'm you know longing Israel all the time or anything like this. You know, where I live is is mm. where I live. This is my home. But yeah. but you know, the feeling of you know going home and the uh, you know, the enjoyment of it so then that definitely is part of uh, of what I feel when we, when we go back something my husband is Israeli as well so hmm. something about it makes makes sense for you it plays, you know you're, you're, yeah, yeah you feel I feel you know feeling my element hmm. I suppose 
in Boston it was um, cold and cold <laughs> cold <laughs> yeah. so I still have my first memory of uh, I mean I always tell that joke but I mean like, it's still a vivid memory of uh, and it was uh, I think I arrived in maybe late, late August or something like that sometime in August you know it was warm sticky humid so right. it was like great yeah. Yeah. like Tel Aviv all good you know so <laughs> so far so good and then October arrived and I was really really cold but everybody was like oh you have no idea what's happening so wait until December or January you'll understand what cold is and then I did oh yeah because yeah, it, it's cold and humid so it's really but also I mean the cold just you never go about freezing for weeks at a time it yeah. was just and it was brutal yeah, I haven't been up there in that time of year for any any period, but yeah, just kind of relentless. And I understand, like when it snows, the snow just then sticks around for well, weeks. Because it's so cold, but they're very yeah. efficient. You know, while mm. during the storm, they already clean up the road, yeah. the sidewalk, so you have basically a mountain of snow on each side of you when you walk or drive. It's, I mean, I was impressed by this, but I was like, when does it stop? Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was, you know, I mean, it was a good experience. I mean, also scientifically, obviously, um, you know, it was a great program, um, amazing people. Yeah. Um, so that was great fun. And it was at Harvard. It was Harvard, and, yeah. Yeah, but Harvard. I think in that town, there's some cross-fertilization between MIT and Harvard. Yeah, so that, that's and... actually a great thing, is that they have cross-registration. So mm. you can... I took half of my classes at MIT, basically, oh, yeah, yeah wow. which counted towards my degree. And, I mean, it's a great program. So, I mean, both universities are, are committed to it. So you can take classes as long as the lecturer is okay mm. with it, um, obviously. Um, but, but I think this is fantastic because you, you, know, you get to pick and choose between the two places, uh, you know, whatever they offer depending on what you're interested in. Mm. So that, that, you know, that was great. And we used to go to, um, to MIT for the SAP lunch seminar, which is the oceanography seminar every week. Hey there, buzz alert. Uh, sorry about that again. Um, it's not too bad, but if you find it real annoying, just skip ahead for a minute or two. Uh, it doesn't last super long. Okay. So you get, you know, you get a much broader community on yeah. the ocean side, but Harvard had the more kind of climate uh, community okay. um, you know, with the paleo uh, folks that were quite quite involved. So we used to get that aspect from Harvard. So so it was great. We really get the best of both worlds. And, and again, I had a great supervisor and a great group. Mm. So all my uh, classmates and, and stuff were were fantastic. Yeah. Did you have to? Um, I imagine you went through the whole qualifying exam and all of those hoops and the hoops. Uh, what, what was that? What was that like at the time? Well, I mean, you know, at the time you felt miserable and you wish you didn't have to do it. Harvard is a little bit more gentle. Uh, it's the qualifying exam is only oral, so mm. you do everything uh, as an oral exam oh. in one go. Yeah. So at least you know you go through it once and. And off you go, yes. So you're okay with, it went all right? And it was, well, you know, yeah, here, I think you, you are. Know. I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly, right? Uh, so again, after the fact, yeah, it went well. Uh, I don't know what I felt before. Mm. Uh, frightened, uh, you know. Uh, it, it, it is pretty intense. Um, there's no doubt about this. It's brutal. Mm. Uh, yeah. But, but the, I mean, to be honest, mine was, I mean, by most standards, I don't have a horrible story to tell. It was tough. Yeah. You know, you get something wrong, they do not let it go. Yeah. Uh, but but it's okay. I think, you know, I think it trains us to be thorough, careful about what we do. But there was no yeah. midness. There was no... Right. I, I don't have, like, right. one of those crazy stories where I was yelled at for two hours. No. I mean, they pushed me uh, yeah. as necessary as a scientist. You know, they questioned my 
questions yes. as you present a research project, and they, but you know they, they they check that why that my knowledge was the way it's supposed to be after a year and a half in grad school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have a bad story to tell about right, that. Right. It was just a lot of work well, that, and that something makes, we took very seriously. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? The the attitude with which like your examiners. If you are coming at the, the, the exam situation with, you know, if you go in the mindset of, well, they're just doing their job. It's just their job to give me a hard time because mm-hmm. they, this is, this is what scientific training looks like is questioning, you know, whatever you want to question, you know, chipping away at whatever you want to chip away at, whatever you think is like, yeah, but what about this? Um, and that's, that's just how the conversation goes. So you know, they're not necessarily looking to catch you out on something, exactly. to, to use a UK phrase. Um, they're not necessarily looking to, um, you know, take you down. But that's the conversation you need to be comfortable with if you want to do science, is you have to get used to this environment where everything's up for uh, question. And you need to be able to defend your choices. Yes. And it's totally fine if you don't know. You can just be like, I don't know. Here's some initial thoughts. Here's some yeah. possibilities. But um, and even if you... Like in that situation, even if you couldn't remember something, I'm sure you could go, okay, I don't quite remember exactly this part, but I know this and this and this about it. And that you could at least get the conversation started, right? You could Mm -hmm. at least start talking. Exactly. I mean, but of course, you know, when you're that junior, you know, we we can't say all of that now, but when you're at that stage, it was more, okay, you know, I'm going to get examined uh, no matter what um, on Mm -hmm. on a certain topic. So you don't feel necessarily as confident, but, but, you know, after, after a little... You know, struggle at the beginning. You you kind of uh, mm-hmm. hopefully uh, find a footing and and then move forward. But I I mean, you know, I think the process was useful. I I actually believe it is important uh, to be able to you know stand up for for, yeah. for and talk about your project and and discuss ideas and and you know and get questions about your ideas yeah. and and what you know. So I think yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean. Not the most exciting time in terms of uh, you know the stress, but but I do think it is worthwhile. And here we do something similar-ish with you know the transfer and confirmation at the first at the end of first year and second year, yeah. uh, where they have to go through their uh, project and 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 get you know and get a chat for an hour yes. with with a certain committee. So I think it is very valuable, and also you get the perspective of, of others. Uh, sure. on, on your work, which which I think is is fantastic. I mean, when do you get to That's sit right. with people and talk for an hour about what you do? And you can start the integration process right there that mm-hmm. we were talking about. You know, just listen to people, try to synthesize it, try to take yeah. it in, try mm-hmm. to keep things in mind. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the Colorado State exam when I was out there, it was a forty eight hour exam, and you could mm-hmm. use. You could use your books and stuff if you wanted, but you had they gave you you know three big questions and you had forty eight hours to basically you know write up a big response to, to these three questions. Um, to, and to be honest, like it was it was intense, but I kind of enjoyed it because it was such a clear. I wasn't doing anything else. You know, my my wife was super supportive and brought me food and stuff, <laughs> and I was just in my office like I, I know I didn't sleep the first night, and then I kind of. Um, at some point that became questionable and I had to, to you know, to, to nap, but it was, that was the only thing I was doing and I've never had any other period in my life where it was like, no, no, that's what you, I'm just working on these problems right now and basic functions of eating and like, cause, uh, so in a way, I mean, I'm, I'm possibly just romanticizing it a bit, you know, I'm sure in the moment I was, I was more stressed out than I'm, you know, than I'm acknowledging, but, uh, but yeah, it was, yeah. but like you said, it, it's an, it's an opportunity to, you know, look for holes in your knowledge 
to start listening to people and start integrating, you know, yeah, what they I think. This think, is very you know. important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you said you came here to Oxford? So, yeah. yeah, so then I came here to Oxford. Um, yeah, so I, so basically, you know, I mean, a year before graduating, started to think about what I wanted to work with. Yeah. So I had a few names, and David was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and um, yeah, and so so there were there were a couple of fellowships that were available in Oxford uh, at that time, and so David, um, so with David as my host, and and you know, and, and it worked out pretty well. I decided to come here, nice. um, and again, I was you know I was trained as um, you know okay, so you get a postdoc, but as soon as you get a postdoc, start thinking about uh, your next step because if you want to stay in academia it might take you a very long time to find a job yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. we all know because uh, there are very few places and, and you know you have to fit in but uh, started applying for faculty job pretty much you know um, towards the end of my first year mm. and I was pretty lucky um, <laughs> and yeah ended up uh, taking the offer here yeah. and, well, uh, you know, it's... and then stayed since yeah stayed since well, you certainly like. I mean, you have you have. Um, it's not lost on you. You know, you've taken full advantage of it. I've you know, from where I'm sitting, like you've really dug into it and done a lot of great stuff and a lot of exciting science. And thank so, you. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, you, again, there's you know, as you know, we go back to our statement as you know, the environment is important. And, yeah. and you know, we work hard, but but again, it's many contribution from many people. Um, you know the support you get when 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 you're trained. I mean, you know, again, Ellie, so my supervisor, always very good at, at you know at pushing us and doing new things and being excited and, yeah. and just going after things. And and here, I you know, I had an amazing group of people. And and again, I have great colleagues uh, that I can talk to. Yeah. Uh, that you know, we do joint group meetings together, and that's very important because even we work on similar topic, we work on them very differently. Uh, yeah. And so all this environment, I think, you know, has, has contributed uh, to everything I've done. For sure. With no doubt. So, but it's yeah. been great fun. Mm-hmm. Great fun. I, again, I, I feel very privileged mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do, you know, what I like uh, in this environment. That's nice. Yeah. Do you mind if we end with, um, there's a, a series of, short questions that I like to ask okay. and when I say short I mean I, I, yeah. tr- I try to be brief about how I, I ask them and then you can take as long or as short okay, as you good. want to, to, to respond okay. um, so it's this what's something you've learned about um, research and you know we, we hit on a lot of these elements throughout the, the conversation but if you wanted to have a little takeaway of something you've learned about research over the years could be um, so I mean so I would say you know uh, not being afraid to push an idea, uh, even though you know other might think it's wrong. Mm. Uh, I think I think this is important. Sometimes you have a hunch. Uh, many people think it you know it's it's not going to work out. I think be able to you know find your little path through uh, all the noise. Yeah. And making sure you can do something that is not you don't know if it's going to pan out or not. You, you just need to take the risk. Yeah. Right, so I think you know that's one thing. I mean, not so many, but no, I'll take that. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. What about um, what's something you've learned about academia in general, oh navigating in the academic world? I don't you know. know. I'm still learning yeah. as I go. You know, yeah. I've I've been I've been around the block now for a while. Yeah, I've been through all the stages. You know, the year mm. struggle for PhD student, finding you know fellowship after that, finding a faculty job, and again, I'm I'm very lucky because I. I you know, it came out very well at the end, but went through all the stages, and now 
you know, being in a in a department, as junior faculty, going up for tenure, and, and all this kind of thing. So, I don't know what I've learned. It's a confusing uh, system. Um, Oh, there, yeah. there are, I mean, it was completely foreign to me again. You know, we, we go back to the beginning. I had no idea what academia was. I mm. had absolutely no clue what it was. Yeah. So for me, everything, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning as I go. Um, I think there are certain aspects that we, you know, that we see as very formal, and they are, and, and it's very difficult to navigate. Mm. I still, again, you know, go back to maybe my, you know, the small positive side of me that always feel like wow well, at the end of the day I still wake up I play with computers and equations on problems that I like even though I, there are many things I don't like to do mm. within academia overall it's, if it's a place where you know I, I get to do all of this I'll, I'll be okay with the downside of it yeah, that's good. That's a that's a positive kind of take on I'm it. Trying, I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying. Yeah, trying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I yeah. think again for me, and again we go back to the fact that I had the privilege to have this position and 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 all the things that happened until then. Um, then I can't say that I'm 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 still in a job that yeah. I love to do. Um, so you know, I I can't just. I can't complain. Yes. I can, but but overall, again, if we take the average of the ups and downs, it's it's a pretty perfect uh, place for me. Yeah. Despite some of the things I don't particularly like about. Yeah. What about um, teaching and supervising? Uh, I love it. About. Yeah, yeah I you love like, it. Oh yeah, I mean, forever I've loved it. Uh, so I mean, I was a high school teacher for a bit uh, in Israel. Uh, oh, you were okay. Yeah, yeah I told you I've, I've done pretty much everything you can <laughs> you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I love teaching. Um, it takes a lot of my time here in Oxford because we have the tutorial system yeah. where that's uh, very intense, know, kind of one on one or one on two. One on two, one faculty, yeah. two students. Yeah, so you do about six hours a week mm-hmm. of just that, and then plus the regular lectures. Uh, but I love teaching, you know, when you, you get to explain a concept and actually suddenly you have to learn it yourself because you realize yes. actually you're kind of shady about it. <laughs> you, know, you thought you understood it very well, but you didn't. Supervising, yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, I don't know if I call it supervising or, or, or just having fun with my group mostly, I don't know. But uh, I mean, I take it seriously um, because it's, you know, it's important. Um, but... But it's great. I mean, I, I really love it. Uh, the interaction, to the exchange of ideas, and, and the fact that, again, you know, with students, when they start, they, they know very little about research and, yeah. you know, give it all something. And, you know, at the end, when they graduate, and I graduated three PhD students now, you know, when they graduate, you, look, you know, you read the thesis, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I wish I'd done that. You know, we go back to that <laughs> comment in the beginning, right? I wish I'd thought about it myself. <laughs> So this is, yeah, I mean, for me, this is by far, you know, the best part of my job, uh, by a long shot. When you said uh, that supervising, just having fun, that made me think about um, that. So I, I haven't had PhD students um, finish, uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm co-supervising some. But uh, I think for me, my, my approach to that whole supervisory thing, whether it's a summer student or a master student, has been largely like, just enabling good people to get on with it, like just Absolutely. you know finding a, a person who wants to do it, who you know has mm-hmm. has the, the the gumption to do it, the knack mm-hmm. to do it, and to just let them do it and let yeah. them get on with it. I mean, it's still. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm I, it's still nerve wracking to some extent because you know you have people's kind of you know career in your hands. So yeah. so you know I, I I do spend a lot of time on sure, you yeah. know on on again I, I don't know if I like the work supervising but advising I guess uh, it's slightly mm-hmm. better it feels less uh, 
Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's weird. But I was kind of trying. To, I was trying to use the UK lingo for it. I know, which is what I know, but I always feel yeah, I always feel a bit uncomfortable with it. Um, advising yeah, is that, advising. That's I think it's a bit. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. I mean, you know, this is important. This is a big step in their life, whether they are students or postdocs. This, this has a big impact on what's going to happen next. Sure. They're spending so years applying. of their life with exactly. you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so it's a, it's a big, you know, it's a big step. So, I, I, you know, we have long chats before they start to make sure that it's going to work out. Uh, get long chats during. And so, so you know, I, I, again, I spend a lot of time with my group and I, I really try my best. I, I'm not good at everything, but I, I definitely mm. try my best. But for me, this is by far the most rewarding part of my uh, of my day to day. Nice, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What about uh, writing. Oh, <laughs> I think we've been there. Right? We now I do not it. enjoy yeah, yeah. it for many reasons. I'm not a good writer, and also for me, it's when it's the end, and I oh. like the beginnings. You don't I like, like that part, yeah. Yeah, I like I like the excitement, discovering new things. I, I don't like the. You know, little detailed things yeah. of the writing part, oh, and also I always feel like I forgot to say something, mm, yeah. and it annoys me a lot. Um, One of the things that's been nice about doing this podcast is like um, the, the responses to that question just span the full, absolutely the full range Some from like that's it. the worst, I can't stand it, to people who are like I love writing. Some people, that's their favorite part, where they're like, I'm putting all these different threads together into this one beautiful document in there. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's so interesting no, I mean, to see. Yeah, loving writing is definitely not a prerequisite for science. You have to be able to do it. Yes, right? but, yeah, you, know, you don't have a choice. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you can't, uh, yeah, nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. And, um, and it's part of our job, right? I mean, you do a piece of science, you have to put it out there for people to actually use it. That's true. Um, yeah. Criticize it, use it, expand on it, all of, all of the above. Yes, it for has sure. to be out there. There's this um, pair of questions I'd like to ask. And we've, we've covered a lot of this already, but... Um, so the first one is, what's something you don't love about your job and then something that you do love about your job? And that's kind of a pair, you know. Yeah. So the admin part the for admin me, part. I'm, I'm not... I'm, I don't like it, I'm not good at it, I don't like paperwork. Mm. Uh, you know, so this is not something I like at all. Yeah. But again, it's part of making the place work, and that's why we have a good environment. So we all have to contribute something. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, I take it with sure. know, part of taking the job. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, what I love by my job is just yeah, playing around with new ideas and and being able to you know collaborate with with amazing people from. PhD postdoc to you know more senior scientists either way it's all equal yeah it's it's that part I find it very I find mm. it very inspiring the learning part the creating something new I, I yeah I am it's the yeah, best it's the best <laughs> it's I great. mean again you know it is the best <laughs> it is yeah yeah that's a great great answer I love that part too how are you feeling um Exhausted. exhausted. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so but much thank for your you. time. Well, thank you for for coming all the way to Oxford. It's not the easiest trip. Ah, I know. It's my pleasure. And uh, yeah, I wanted to do this, and um, and I, I can. There's a couple folks I can see here too. I've I've been needing to come out here for a while. Good, so good. excellent. Yeah. Well, we we're glad to have you. Hopefully, we can uh, talk uh, some science. Yeah. In a bit. Anything else you want to talk about? Happy? Um, happy, right? yeah. I'm happy to be done, too. Okay. It's, uh, excellent. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, I know. No, thank you very much for doing it. Busy week. Um, uh, I know folks will appreciate hearing from you. That you know, that's, uh, so thanks again. There you have it, my conversation with Professor Laura Zana. Again, uh, I really appreciated uh, Professor Zana's time, Laura's time. Uh, thanks again to her for hosting me in her office at Oxford. Uh, for updates on the podcast, follow at Climate SciPod, and to um, 
find out what Lorzana is doing. She's not on Twitter, but you can look up her website. Uh, she also maintains a, a website. Let me actually, oh, actually, I'm going to look that up right now as we're lorzana.github.io. I don't imagine that's going anywhere anytime soon. That's her climate and ocean physics homepage for her, her work. Okay, thanks again for downloading, listening, and uh, I'll go ahead and leave you here. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.